You're listening to Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jan. Hey everyone, welcome back to Screenwriters Need to Hear This, the podcast. My name is Michael Jammon. I'm here with Phil Hudson. What? What's up, Phil? What up? How's it going, guys? What's up, every? What's up, everyone? Uh, today, today we're going to talk a little about a. Um, I thought we would talk a little about a post I did a while ago that seemed to light a fire under people's butts. Yeah. So we're, I thought we'd go into further detail on it. And the post was basically how I would break into Hollywood if I had to do it all over again today. And first, so I should, you know, I should say that I broke into Hollywood a hundred years ago before the, before email, before there was the internet. And so I was, it was more obviously much more traditional. I, but I still wouldn't rule out breaking into Hollywood the traditional way, which is basically to become a production assistant and hopefully get your break that way. And, and, and you've had a couple of breaks already as a production assistant, uh, you know, as you've worked your way up the ladder. So I wouldn't roll that out, but there are other ways. And so a lot of people say, do I have to move to Hollywood to make it in Hollywood? And my standard response is, well, Hollywood is not coming to you. Uh, mm-hmm. But but you can't. there are ways you can still do it. Uh, you can still break into Hollywood if you're, for some reason, not willing to go. But the, but the truth is, you know, the, there are people who are willing to give up everything to break into Hollywood. People, those are people who are willing to move from wherever they are to, you know, make it in the, in the, in the city. Those people have... A leg up because they've or, they're going to jump the line because they've already like people who don't who aren't willing to move they're basically saying I I'll do anything it takes to make make it in Hollywood except get off my ass and move to Hollywood mm. and there are a lot of people yourself included me as well were like well I'll, we'll do anything it takes including moving you know right. and moving is hard like you know a lot of people don't want to move they they like where they are they have family friends and where they don't have the money or whatever and then they got to move to Hollywood and now. You know, their rent stinks, it's expensive, and maybe they're living in a dump like I certainly was. And now I couldn't even, that dump is way too expensive now that I lived in. And um, so th- I think those people are hungrier. You know, they're just naturally hungrier because they don't, they're uncomfortable and they're going to do more. They're going to do what it takes to get out of that discomfort to hopefully make it in Hollywood. Whereas the people who want to stay where they are, they're not, as, they're not nearly as uncomfortable, mm. you know? So there's that. Yeah. There's that to keep in mind. But if you decide, well, no, I cannot move or I'm unwilling to move, there are things that you can do. And we've talked a little bit about it. And, and so that's going to be the subject of what I would have done, what I do today. If I had to do it again, I would certainly move to Hollywood, but I would also do something else. And that is I would take full advantage of these social media platforms that exist now that didn't exist back then. Mm-hmm. And specifically, I'd go on all these platforms and I would create a page dedicated to my craft, whatever it is that I want to show the world how how good I am at. And so if I'm an actor, it's just acting stuff. If it's, you know, writer, just that. If it's directing, that, producing, that. And I wouldn't gum it up with your personal stuff. And I would I would I would curate it. I would curate that page to prove to the world how great I was at that one thing that I want to prove to the world. Mm. And then I talked specifically. If I was in, the actors have a leg up because actors like, you know, they, they, they have to be in front of the camera. Right. And so I would show, okay, do scenes of monologues. I would uh, write your own stuff. I say, hey, I, I'm always encourage writers, actors to, to uh, develop for themselves, to make sure this is rolling. Yeah. yeah sorry. I'm always encourage actors to, uh, 
to write their own stuff. Like that's for sure. And if they don't know how to write, take a writing lesson, right. you know, or more. <laughs> or if you still don't know, not comfortable, then team up with a writer. There are plenty of writers who are uncomfortable in front of the act, uh, camera. Team up with them, and they're you know find someone who's just as hungry, and uh, you know maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't, but at least you're trying. At least you're putting it out there. Yeah. And then also to the point, this is a, it's a little bit of a rant, people in your car listening to this podcast. I'd be like, don't make content. I hate that word. I really hate that word. Right. I'd make something that you feel is of, of value and will really will impress people. And your first couple of posts or whatever, they're not going to be good. They're probably not. You're going to try. You're going to put more effort than necessary. But at some point, you're, gonna, you're going to hit a groove and figure out, okay, this is the sweet spot. This is what I'm really good at. This is what people seem to like. And, and then people also say, well, you know, how do I, there's so much noise on the internet. How am I going to stand out? And well, don't make noise. I mean, you stand out by, but yeah, you're right. There's so much garbage in the internet. How do I stand out? Don't make garbage. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the key. And I gave an example. Like when I was a kid, when I was a child, my aunt and uncle, as a gift, they gave me this soup, this underwater super eight camera for filming underwater. Like who the hell wants that? But they wanted as a uh, as a parting gift on the show to tell to tell the truth. <laughs> so they were they were on that show, and that was a parting gift. Like they didn't want it. Like who's wants it? And it had no sound, but you could shoot underwater. And they gave it to me, and I was like, yes, you know. <laughs> and, I, and I was like ten or whatever, and um, I just shot tons of stuff as as much as I could, given the fact how expensive it was. Because the film then the Super Eight film, I have it somewhere, but it's like. Um, you know, it's it's like $7 for a roll of film and it's $10 to develop. And back then, for a kid, that's actually quite a bit of money. And it's only three minutes. And so, but I would write these scenes and I'd pull my friends in. And I wasn't even in it. I'd make my friends be in it. And and without sound. So you had to be creative to, have, you know, with silent movies. And and then, after it was all done and said, said and done, I'd edit these things. on. I had this giant editor like this reel-to-reel, and yeah, you use scotch tape basically to tape, you cut and you literally cut and tape it together. And then when it was done, I would show it to two people. I showed it to my mom and dad. Like who? Like that, that's as many people as you could show it to your parents. And like today, you can do all of that on your freaking phone. It's in your phone is a is a movie studio, and not only is it a movie studio, and it's not only better than anything else that I had or anyone. Like the technology is amazing. But you also have a distribution platform. You don't have to worry about distrib- a, distrib- a distributor. You have one. You upload it to whatever TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, whatever whatever you want to put it on Twitter, whatever. And okay, guaranteed two people are going to see it, but more likely 20, 200, 2,000, or 2 million. A lot of people, depending how good it is, and I, and I posted that and someone, someone left a comment, no, you don't know what you're talking about. On a good day, I'll get 200 views. I'm like, well... Maybe it's what you're. Maybe it's what you're making. You know, right. there's there's that. You you know, you're not guaranteed to show it to uh, two thousand people. They have to. They have to want. They have to like it. Right. Um, but but think about. I, I would have. I would have cut my arm off for that. Like what a what a tool it is to have this, and and we didn't have any of that growing up. And like now, uh, you know, people think it's hard to get in. It's like, what are you talking about? Right. You know, you can do all this. Th- this was very yeah. poignant. I mean, this, this stood out to me. A ton when I got to film school. I, was, I went when I was 28. I'd already had a career and I got the scholarship opportunities and went and did that. 
and I'm sitting in freshman classes that were required courses I had to take, and I'm there with 18-year-old kids who could shoot things so beautifully, it made me yeah. feel like I didn't deserve to be there. Uh, and then slowly you learn, it's like, okay, it's because... You know, when I was in high school, we were operating, we were cutting on old school colored Mac desktop computers, and mm-hmm. my yearbook class was still shooting and developing film, 35 millimeter film. Digital cameras, a point and click, was like two grand, and no one could afford that. Now these kids, they're shooting on basically full avid setups in high school. They're running stuff on iPads that the school's providing them, and digital cameras cost nothing. And so, it's just a different world, and even now, that was you know, eight eight something years ago, six years ago. Now it's it's even more. But there's a catch. There's a catch because yes, everyone can make it look great. You know, you could special effects, but no one's going to be impressed. You're never going to do special effects better than, you know, uh, whatever Lucas Films or whatever. You know, if you're not. So, I think people think, well, look how good it looks, but. Right. Okay, but what's the script? Well, that, that is, was the conversation. The writing? That was the conversation I'd have. I was like, man, what, I went to lunch with one kid one time. And we, I think we might have talked about this like forever ago on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But I went to lunch with him and I was like, man, you shoot beautifully. Uh, one thing I noticed in your films, though, is this, like story seems lacking. And he's like, oh, I don't really care about the story. I just want to make it look as good yep. as I can. And so you're shooting glorified right. music videos. But even music videos most of the time have a story. And they're compelling you to understand the deeper depths of what's going on in the song. You know? And... That they were just obsessed with that, and they didn't care about those fundamental things that you teach. Yeah, I mean, you got the story. The fun is, is if you know you don't have a story, you got nothing. And then, and then, so people were like, some people were inspired by this post, and then, and some someone left a comment. And I don't know; they claimed to be facetious, although it wasn't obvious to me or anyone else. I don't think, but it was you know they were saying that they were a producer. Well, what would I produce? As, what would I post as a producer? Like, what would I? And then the thing is, or, or what should I do? What should I post if I'm a writer? Like, okay, maybe you don't want to post your entire script. Maybe you know, that'd be a separate podcast. Why you wouldn't want to do that? But because you do want to be careful about what you're sharing. Uh, but Hollywood is a creative field, you know, and and you want to work in the creative field, but you're not willing to be creative. You, have, I can't come up with all the answers for you. You need to be creative mm-hmm. and come up with what you are going to do and what's going to work for you, not what I would work for me. What would work for you? I know what I would do, but but I would do wouldn't work for somebody else because they're not me. And so, like, they're saying, well, they're kind of like, well, Michael, what should I do? What should I do? It's like, are you nuts? This is that's what you you want. You're trying to prove to Hollywood that how creative and how great you are, but you're asking me, what should I do? You don't deserve to be in Hollywood then. If you can't figure it out on your own, what what are you talking about? Right. You know, this is your job. Yeah, uh, it's really interesting that this is the subject you wanted to talk about today because. I'm in the middle of a book called, uh, I think it's called The Creative Crisis. Let me pull it up here real fast on my Audible. The Comfort Crisis. And it talks about helicopter parenting in the 1990s and how because of this moment when parents were afraid all their kids were going to get kidnapped, they stopped letting kids go out and play on their own. And so now we've got all this technology and we're being stimulated all the time. And there's zero opportunity for boredom. And how boredom is an Mm -hmm. evolutionary response that allows us to recognize uh, a moment of diminishing returns in a project or it's it's a mm-hmm. we sought comfort evolutionary wise to protect ourselves and now we don't need those things it's kind of inverted and become a really horrible thing and i think that a lot of people are too timid or too afraid to put themselves out there in a real meaningful way which we've talked about plenty and it's directly mm-hmm. related to the fact that 
you can get immediate feedback and we overly associate weight and authority to the feedback we get from other people rather than just being our true authentic selves. I also think mm-hmm. that we don't take time to sit back and think, what do I think? What do I think about the world? What are my values? What are my feelings right. about this? And that's what you need to have to have a point of view. You have to have a strong point of view to make it yep. as a filmmaker or an auteur or you know an author. And if you're so caught up thinking know- about everyone else's point of view, you can't. Yeah, you're just mimicking what everyone else is doing. Right. You can't stand out. Right. And know that the first whatever dozen or two dozen or whatever things that you create might not be well received because maybe they're not good but you doing it will improve mm-hmm. that's how you get better is the is the process of doing it mm-hmm. and so and and so yeah put it out there know you're going to be judged and know those people judging you don't have the balls to do it themselves so you know who cares what they think if they you know they don't have they don't have the courage to do it themselves so what they don't earn a right at the table they don't get a, they're not allowed to criticize anybody because they're not putting any skin in the game so who cares what they think they're just cowards. They're they're critics. Yeah. Um, and then there's something and like like I said, so whatever you, whatever you want, how, you know. Some I actually I, I actually posted this, you know that you know, but uh, if I my response to what a producer should do, and then someone very facetiously said, you know, because I guess they hate producers. They said, oh, then the producer should go about posting about uh, how they're thieves, how they steal credit for other people's work and how they do nothing on set and how they're awful people. Right. And I, and I go, that's a great idea, actually. I mean, that would be funny for a producer or aspiring yeah. producer to do that, because anybody produ- talk about how they steal ideas. Anybody who's doing that would say that is not stealing ideas. They would never they would never own up for that. Right. So I think it's funny to actually go out and do that. And by the way, a producer's job, like on Marin, which was a low budget show, very low budget, uh, like all the producers on the show, they were super creative because we would give them a script and we look at them apologetically saying, hey, do you think you can make this on our budget? And they go, mm. they go, let me see what I can do, yeah. you know? And, and I would be like, don't tell me, I don't want them the details of what you're going to do. <laughs> Just if you can make it happen. And they, they were, they were very creative about how they could make the scene. And there would be a conversation. Sometimes it would be a give and take, but their job was to be creative. It's a producer's a creative job. You know, you have to, you know, they're taking what's in the writer's head and realizing it and putting it on the stage and a good producer gets it done. They don't say, I can't, they go, all right, that I'll do watch this. They roll up their sleeves. And so yeah, if you're an aspiring producer, post about that. Let's see examples of that. Let's see these creative solutions. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And then and then now you're you, by the by the, you being so transparent, you're being you're building trust. If that's what you want. But why again, why am I telling you any of this? Figure it out on your own if you want to impress somebody. You have to figure it out, not me. Right. You know? But Michael, that's hard work. <laughs> yeah, goddamn, damn right it's hard work i mean all of it is all of it is awful yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> but you you know if you want it you'll do it but but and and but look how you can get noticed anybody um geez, i'm just so there's so much opportunity out there yeah. uh and, and one of the things i said that i think people really liked was like uh and i'm sorry if you already watched this video but i i said you know opportunity looks like hard work mm. and it looks like something that's beneath you that's what opportunity looks like. And some people think, how do I get my script into, the, into an agent's hands? How do I get a manager? How do I get an audition for a show? 
And it's like, they think that's what opportunity is, but opportunity doesn't look like that. Opportunity is ugly. Opportunity is la faccia bruta, the yeah. ugly face. That's what opportunity is. Yeah. And so, you know, go for it. You know, geez, that's, you know. And, and, and another thing, stop asking for permission. I, I can't stand that. Sometimes people try to slide into my DMs thinking I'm going to make their career. I'm like, I'm the Hollywood gatekeeper. Yeah. I, I don't control Hollywood. You, you, you need to do this on your own. Well, we, we dealt with that recently too. I mean, someone wrote um, some pretty aggressive remarks about me when we talked about how I got bumped yeah. into an associate producer. And, you know, thank you to everyone yeah. who stood up for me in those comments. But he accused me of nepotism and how I'm an example <laughs> of nepotism in Hollywood because I'm getting my success through you. And yeah. the point... Which is not nepotism, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> We're not related. And secondly, Michael, how many jobs in Hollywood have you personally hired me for? Yeah, I hired you on the... the ret well, I got you the Retin Link one. Right. So right? here's the thing, though. But you didn't hire me for those shows. No, you I didn't hire you that. You yeah. put my name I, in a hat. I, I applied. Right. I didn't get the job. I got called back right. to day play, and I busted my butt. And so the, the line producer, when there was a need for an office PA, said, consider this guy. He seems good. That's literally what I was yeah, told. Yeah, that's exactly right. I heard about the opportunity, and I said I told them to call you in. You went for the interview and didn't get it because they hired somebody else. Correct. They hired someone with more experience. Right. And so right. I didn't get the job. I showed up. I was in Tucson, Arizona. They said, hey, Monday, we need someone to help lock down traffic. Can you be here? And I was like, I'll be there. I drove back, got here, went in, did it, busted my butt in the sun for 14 hours. And then they hired me on for the rest of the show. And then for yeah. Tacoma FD, you didn't even hire me on that. There was a need because the other PA sucked so bad that they fired him. Yeah. And they you recommended me and they called me and they took me but you weren't the hiring person and so right what, I wasn't the hiring, yeah. what, what is the point of all of this is i think you know to me it just highlights that it's it's pretty easy to protect our ego and our vanity by making excuses for things and if you can yeah. take a step back and ask yourself the question why do i care what other people think why what is it going to cost me if i don't take that bold action you're going to start to realize that listening to you and what you want is the best thing you can do for yourself. And you're going to be inspired to take more action than you would if you're worried about your mom or your dad or your uncle or your bishop or your, your priest or whoever it is that's telling you you're never going to make it than they could ever right. do. Um, it, it's the saying, Michael, fortune favors the bold. And that exists for a reason. Yep. Right? Yep. And part of another saying is, uh, you know, so much of success is showing up. Mm. And showing up means literally that showing up doing being there and putting yourself in a position so that when opportunity happens you're you're there and so i think so many people think that you're just gonna i have a script how come hollywood won't what won't won't read me how come yeah. hollywood won't uh you know buy my script for a million dollars and turn my life into bubbles this may not be, i don't you know, know if this is when you want to talk about this but uh you know i think it's kind of right on topic of my recent acting opportunity i got yeah show right Let's talk about that. Yeah. yeah. So, again, I'm sure some of the haters are going to say, well, that's nepotism or that's just this. But let's just kind of put it in perspective. But the showrunner's assistant got COVID and he couldn't be there. And so I as the... This is on Tacoma FD, Tacoma the show FD. that fills... The show... You, I want to just set the table. You were uh, a production assistant on the show for a couple of years. Then they bumped you up to associate producer because they didn't want to lose you, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, which gave you more job responsibility and stuff like that. And then, 
And then, yeah, now into Comb FD. Take it away, Phil. Okay, so the showrunner's assistant, he got COVID. And so they called me in because with my title, I have the flexibility. And I was now, and they trust me, so I was now there helping them, reading lines off camera, getting things they needed, doing whatever it was, so that, because these guys write, direct, produce, and act in the show. Right. So I was doing <laughs> what are egos. Yeah. So <laughs> they do everything. Right? They're amazing. So I'm assisting those guys. And then I'm walking on set one day and I walk by cat one of the guys and I was like, Hey, do you guys need anything? He's like, No, I'm good. And as I'm walking away, all of a sudden I hear, Hey, Phil. And I turn around. It's been ten seconds since I said, Do you need anything? I turn around and one of the showrunners walks up. He's like, Hey, we need you today. And I was like, Okay. And the first AD is like uh, are you okay to go on camera? And I was like, sure, whatever. And they're like, okay, done. Go get, go talk to hair and makeup. And I was like, okay. And so they put me in and the whole cold open of an episode, I'm acting in it now because that actor got COVID. And right. let me just be clear here. I didn't just get put in because I'm a guy they like. I got put in because over time and years of showing up for minimum wage, I have proven to the guys I can do what they ask me to do, including being put on the spot in the feature film we just shot where I was on camera and didn't know I was going to be, and I pulled it off. Right. So they had enough faith in my ability to go act and do it and do it in a way that would work for the show, and I was there. I was there early, and I was available. But let's, Right. But, so much of opportunities being is showing up. But let's back it right. up. So the guy... Go ahead. Uh-huh. Well, the, so in other words, the guy, the actor that was supposed to have this line got COVID at the last second, and oh my God, what are we going to do? Well, how about Phil? Let's... Phil, you're an actor now, yeah. basically. <laughs> yeah, you know? that's what happened. And, and then you, they knew you had, you know, had acted before, so that's how you got the part. Right, but let's back up. It's like I got my, I got my agent, my actual acting agent, back in like 2015. Do you know how many mm-hmm. auditions I've been on? Do you know how many callbacks with producers you I've had? Do you know how many times I've driven to New Mexico to have an audi- right. a callback with a with a producer? Do you know how many times I've been cast? Zero. Right. Zero goose right. eggs. I mean, I've been on the Fox lot. I've I've auditioned for SWAT. I've auditioned for Longmire, Better Call Saul, Marvel shows. I've done all that. Never never made it. Got pulled in. Right. But the whole time, right. I was preparing and preparing and preparing and going to acting classes and doing those things. So I showed up on camera and I was just be able to do it because I put in the effort beforehand. Right. I was preparing. So in other words, this wasn't this wasn't exactly a lucky break. This was a break, and because it was a break because you had tried it over and over again for various shows and then finally here comes an opportunity but i wouldn't say it was a lucky break i think it was a break oh, they, there was you have to get a break sooner or later you get, hopefully you'll get a yeah, break there was there was trust and then and i had the ability to execute it and it goes back to something i said on the podcast before but luck is where opportunity meets preparation so if you want to describe that yeah. there was opportunity i was prepared and so i, I had a lucky break but i wouldn't have had yeah. that opportunity had i not suffered through multiple trips in LA traffic to Hollywood and back to the Valley Mm -hmm. just to get in my car and go back again during post or early mornings or 14 hour days on set in on the feature film and all the other things I've done. They paved a path for trust to move up and do these things. It took time just because it's not going to happen overnight doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And I think that, you know, the famous, another famous saying is, too often we overestimate what we can do in a year and dramatically underestimate what we can do in a decade. And I think that's been very yeah. true for me, you know? Hey, it's Michael Jammin. If you like my videos and you want me to email them to you for free, 
join my watch list. Every Friday, I send out my top three videos. These are for writers, actors, creative types. You can unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm not going to spam you, and it's absolutely free. Just go to michaeljammon.com slash watchlist. Another comment before, I, before we wrap up this talk, but it's interesting, is like, there was some, there was a woman, I think she was very, I think she was, I'm sure she was joking, but she left a comment as on, when I was leave, talking about this and she said, uh, but what if I, I think she's like a comedian or a comic actor or something, but she's like, but what if I'm not very good, right? And she, I could tell she was joking, but I think it's worth answering as if she weren't joking. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're not good, then doing this is hopefully will help to get better. Mm. And if you don't get better, well then, you know, it's not going to happen. You know, put yourself on social media and put it out there. If you're not better, if you don't get better, or if you're not good at any point, you know, mm. what makes you think you're going to make it in Hollywood? I mean, so this is a good test. If you yeah. can't do it on your own, well, you know, what, then how, what, you know, how is it going to work out in Hollywood? But I know, and like I said, she was being facetious, but, uh, and by, and, you know, and, and putting it out there is brave. Good for her for doing it. And I'm sure some of her stuff, and she had a lot of followers. So I, I don't think she was, I didn't watch any of her stuff, but she had a ton of followers. So I'm sure she was yeah, plenty good, but, but, um, but you got a bomb. I mean, talk to anyone who's done stand up comedy, right? What do they say? Like you're gonna bomb and that's something you have to get through so that, you know, I can handle that. That wasn't so bad. Yeah. And if you can't yeah. handle it. Now you know, and you don't have to wonder for the rest of your life. I always worry about being that guy in a movie theater when I'm 50, 60 years old, thinking, I wish I could have done that. And that right. is, and we've talked about this too, that seems so much more worse to me than slugging it out in LA for a decade trying to make it work. Right. Exactly. And if, you know, uh, I, had, I lost my thought, but it was, not, it was, it was going to be. Profound, super profound, I'm sure. It's very profound. But oh, oh, that was no, I was gonna say, if you're not, um, if you're not enjoying it, if you're not enjoying the process of doing it, then then what is you know getting money out of it is not going to make it more enjoyable. Just for the fact that you know, let's say you're going to be an actor or a writer, uh, and you're getting paid. If you don't enjoy doing it for free, getting paid is not going to make it more enjoyable. It's just going to put money in your pocket. Yeah, and I, so I think, that, I think there are a lot of people who do want to break into Hollywood because they think it's a, a way to fame and fortune. And I think mm -hmm. there's two types of people. There's people who want fame, and there are people who want fortune. If you are the fortune person, let me just tell you, there are a lot of other ways you can become more wealthy and much faster than you can. I think, what is it like? Yeah, one in twenty members of the Screen Actors Guild actually work regularly, or something ridiculous. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's I mean, there's easier ways to make a buck. Minuscule. I mean, go be a, go learn how to be a software engineer. Immediately, you're going to be out of the gate making 80k, and that's something most right. Americans would be real happy to make, you know. Right. So, and if you're here for fame, well, good luck, man. That's a lot of a lot of pressure. Yeah. I don't know that I would ever be interested in. You know, I'm I'm here yeah, because I, I care. I care about this. I love this. I love doing this. It's all I've ever wanted to do. Yeah. And I'm happy to do it on my own, so I might as well keep trying to do it out there. Right, right, right. There you have it, guys. We just laid some. We just smacked you in the head with a roll of nickels. Can I? Can I ask you some? I mean, that hurts. By the way, I've seen that in some pretty violent <laughs> yeah. '80s films. Um, can I ask you a couple questions on the subject of this? And yeah. I know it's not your job to tell people how to do this, but 
you know, on the subject of voice and having a point of view. What do you think someone who's sitting in Boise, Idaho could do to develop their point of view so that they know what type of content to be putting out? Well, first thing, it's it's a it's kind of a it's an interesting subject having your voice because we if when you get a job as a TV writer, you don't need to have a voice. Your voice is you have to capture the voice of the show, whatever, and that's determined by the showrunner or the the actors or whatever. So you become a mimic basically. Uh, and that's you know that's fine. When I when I'm ever on a show, I'm, I'm literally pitching in the in the voice of the characters. Uh, and sometimes even on Tacoma FT, I literally imitate mm-hmm. Kevin and Steve for the showrunners to their face. I go and I pretend <laughs> to be them, and they look at me, and I go, I'm "Sorry, well, <laughs> I'm talking like you know." Well, to that point, you know, we have uh, famously Joey Pantoliano, Joey Pants. He he's uh, Commissioner yeah. Panizzi, and like Mike Rep. Um, one of the staff writers was pitching a, a line and they made him stop and they wouldn't let him continue until he did his Joey Pants voice. Joey Pants! Right? <laughs> Is that what it's something, it's something like that? Something He's like, that, it's a yelling! Yeah, it's a lot of yelling, <laughs> high-pitched stuff, yeah. <laughs> so, but, so yeah. So you don't, that's that's about finding your voice. But if you were to make a, make a video on your own, you know, finding your voice is tricky. Uh, and it's basically... It's basically who you are right now, currently, amped up 20%, 25%. You're just putting yourself on steroids. Whatever your attributes are, you're just going to juice it up. And so if you're a little bit, you know, nervous, now you're neurotic. If you're a little, you know, if you're a little bit controlling, you're bossy. And so, that, at least for comedy, that's how it works for comedy. And so that's where your voice comes from. And it has to be authentic and takes a long time to find it. And I'll say one more thing about it. When I first, it always comes back to my my show, my uh, my collection, personal essays, paper orchestra. But when I first started writing it, I was reading so much David Sedaris because I love him. He writes personal essays. I love the way he writes, and so I first started writing my own, and I was kind of writing in his voice, even though I don't sound anything like him. I was just, it was in my head because mm. I'm so used to in TV. That's how you do it, and so I write these pieces in his voice, and I'm like, well, this is how he does it. This is how I'll do it. And then I thought they were really good. And then I set them aside for a couple of weeks. And then I looked at them and go, this is terrible. It feels like I'm just doing an imitation, a cheap knockoff. It yeah. felt like a cheap knockoff of him. Even though I had studied him so much. And I go, this is exactly how to do it. It just felt like I was knocking him off. And so I was like, this is terrible. So I had to put it aside and uh, really figure out what my voice is. Even though you know I do this for a living. I, had to, I hadn't done this for a living. And, uh, and just start writing that way. And even right now... I have um, so yeah. I found my voice didn't take too long because I, you know, I kind of know what I'm doing. I just mm-hmm. had to trust myself. But um, uh, even now, so he has a book out, a new book, and I won't read it yet because um, for a couple of reasons. One is that I don't want to hear his voice in my head right now. I'm doing a one man show in early August, and I don't want to hear his voice. Mm-hmm. I don't want to start talking like him. I don't want to start thinking like him. I want to stay on focus on me because I want to perform as me and I don't want to be influenced by anybody. But as soon as the show is done, I'll start reading his book and I'll start, you know, writing more. You know, right now I'm just concentrating on that. So does that answer your question? Maybe not. I think it's helpful. I I really do because it is a bit of a nebulous thing. Like what is your voice? And I've heard people say like, you know, um, like someone asked to read something I'd written a year ago and they were, I was like, I'm currently working with the border patrol, uh, you know, entertainment office to make sure that I can make it as authentic as possible. She's like, Oh, I appreciate authenticity. Mm-hmm. But I think what most people want to know is what's your point of, what's your voice and does your voice come across? And I was like, 
okay, so what does that mean? What is that? Who am I? And what do I want to say? And, you know, I know some people get sick of hearing about it, but I think it's important to know how I got my, my Redford scholarship because I, I found out mm-hmm. and it was pretty surprising to me. You know, at the time I knew who Redford was obviously, and I knew who his assistant was and I just did not talk to her. And I'd been volunteering at the Sundance Film Festival for four years at this point. And very quickly it, they learned that I was really good with crowd control and crowd liaisons because I'm, you know, an extrovert and I'll talk to people and I can entertain them and I can have these conversations. And so they put me in charge of the wait list. And so what that means is everyone buys tickets, they show up, they go in, and then everyone who wants to go but who couldn't get tickets stands in a line nervously and anxiously hoping and praying so people don't show up so they can get in. And they're there and after about like two years of just watching this, I was just like, what can I do to have fun with these people so that they're not focused on that and just make this a better experience for them? So I would literally make them play Simon Says. And I would say, all right, Simon Says, stand on one foot. And they'd all do it. And stand, you know, put your foot down, that whole thing. And I'd do that for like two or three minutes. And then I'd be like, Simon Says, get out of line. And then everyone would just stare at me because like they're not going to get out of this line. <laughs> and I was like, you all lose. And then they'd just laugh about it because it's just such an awkward thing. It is just this dumb game that I played for, you know, two uh, festivals. And then after I did it one time, she pulled me aside and she's just like, why are you here? Like, why are you doing this? I was like, oh, actually, I want to be a screenwriter. And she's like, really? She's like, have you been to college? And I was like, I haven't. I had to drop out during the recession. She's like, no way. She's like, well, I have a scholarship. We, you know, we have a scholarship program and I'm in charge of it. And I think you'd be great for it. I'd love for you to apply to the school and you have to get into school. But if you can, we'd love to offer you the scholarship because I think that what you, your the way you present yourself is there, and is there, and it's the kind of thing we're looking for. And I still didn't know what that meant. And I asked her, and she's just like, "Your humor is just very specific in the way that you look at the situation. You can you're very right. situationally aware, and you make those moments funnier. You point out the ridiculousness of those things, and that's something I've been trying to redevelop recently. Is as I'm working on right. comedy specs, you know, because. You know, I love telling these violent modern westerns and these Taylor Sheridan type stories, but my opportunities are in but, comedy, and that's what people see. And but, I've just been afraid to to tap into that voice. You have to be aware when you're writing comedy. You have to be aware that how you see the world is not the way everyone else sees it, and how it's con- probably wrong and odd and weird. <laughs> and that's what you embrace. And like, yeah. so you have to have a lot of awareness that. You know, like, you know, for me, I'm the guy who walks into the room and I, I kind of shut up because I, you know, I don't like, I don't like crowds. I get uncomfortable. <laughs> I had a therapist just diagnose me with something called a high, as a highly sensitive person. And uh, <laughs> hey, this is the hot, doesn't mean I'm a nice guy. This is the highly, high, this is the new topic. I just got diagnosed as highly sensitive person. As highly well. sensitive. It doesn't mean you're a good person. It doesn't mean you'll cry when a sparrow breaks its wings. No. It kind of means you're an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> it means everything bothers you. Yeah. The sounds bother you. Lights are too bright. Sounds bother all me. All of that. Certain yeah. t- textures bother uh-huh. me. And so like, and I can't, as you get older, you can't hide it. And so, but that's all that's all gold. You know, what, what's part of your voice? Yeah. That's all your part of your voice is getting annoyed by things like that. You know, like seeing the world. Dirty hands. So like, I see dirty things. hands, man. Yeah. I see the world as like, I don't, I don't, uh, uh-oh, I don't want to touch that. How do I go from here to there without touching anything? Because <laughs> I don't want to get on my hands. And so that's funny. And that's part of my voice. Yeah. As I, cause I'll see everything and my character, you know, will take, go zigzag to stay out of the sun. So he goes under the shade and doesn't have to open a door. 
and doesn't have to talk to anybody. Take take this. <laughs> take mine. My character is very much the uh, I hate injustice, but I also have to I hate having to be the a hole who has to fix the problem. And I always wonder why am I the person fixing this problem because I can't be the only person in the world who's had this problem. But it's me. Mm-hmm. I'm always the a hole on customer support, pointing out the flaws mm-hmm. in their logic, and how it's just a yeah. circle jerk of logic that gets nobody anywhere. Yeah. And there's got to be a way. And then I have to get to a supervisor. And then I know it's never going to get fixed, but I still have to have that conversation. Right. That's we should have done a whole separate episode on voice. <laughs> we'll just cut. We'll just cut it in half. No, cut it in half. Um, all right, but that's that's good. That's good. We talked about voice. We weren't expecting to get into it. But I hope this inspires everyone to uh, just shut up and start filming. And, you know, put your cameras up and start doing it already. Stop asking for permission and do it. Yeah, and yeah. I will also say, too, I think it's a mistake to think that you need to navigate the world of technology on your own. There are so many resources to know how to do these things. You could YouTube mm-hmm. the question, how to grow an audience on TikTok and find 10,000 videos of people talking about it. You can Google articles about it and you can learn the nuances of search engine optimization and all that stuff in a way that you may not be perfect at it, but any effort in that space is going to help you grow. That, then that, that, that brings up a point I wanted to make. So there's a, there, there are a bunch of people, especially on TikTok that I follow, like experts or people, like usually adults in their field that talk about whatever field they're in. And I don't want to mention this, what this guy does, but he talks about stuff and like my feelings, if you're going to talk about whatever your feel, whatever your feel is, and I, this is what I do on social media, I'm always thinking, well, how can I help you? What information can I give you mm-hmm. for free that will help you? And then if things come back to me, God bless, because good things will come back to me because I'm helping. But that's my only intention. How do I give you some knowledge and entertain you in the process? And then we'll move on, right? And this guy, he does, he gives out knowledge as well, but he always has like, um, he always has a trending song underneath it because he read somewhere that having that using that song will help with the TikTok algorithm mm-hmm. and trick it into getting more views. And I'm just like, it just seems so stupid to me. Like, because it's very distracting to hear the stupid song. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go with anything what he's saying. And it's more about the song than him. Like, are you, tr- so are you trying to help people or are you trying to, to rank on TikTok? What is your, what is your goal? Are you trying to trick TikTok, the algorithm, or are you trying to help people? And you know, I think that's kind of where that's why he is where he is because you know he's not more bigger or more successful because he's like he doesn't understand what he's trying to do what's really interesting about that is you know back november december i started trying to post every single day and then i got very overwhelmed trying to be an associate producer a dad running a business doing a bunch of other things and so i I kind of took a break and i would talk about like you know here are the three people you should know on set here's this type of stuff from a pa perspective but the things that hit and resonated the most were you know i have a hundred some followers but these got two, 3,000 views. They're me talking about mm-hmm. um, the fact that it's okay to take care of yourself. It's okay to be a person. It's okay to, to ask for sick days or take time off to be with your family, even as a PA. Or it's okay yeah. that I didn't post and it's okay because I needed to do that for myself. Like That's what resonated with people and that's what went yeah. more viral than just trying to do some interesting tidbit about the thing. And that's very much my point of view too on this stuff is, you know, but- you a lot of right. people navigate this world just doing what other people are doing, and they don't know that they can make their own path or they can do their own things. And that speaks to what you should be posting. Like, I don't think you should be if you if you want to take my advice and start sharing yourself on the on social media. I wouldn't do any trends. I wouldn't do any shuffle dances. I wouldn't do any filters. It's like 
That's what everyone else is doing. That's part of the noise. What are you doing that is authentic, that doesn't feel like you're trying to game the algorithm, that doesn't feel you're trying to, you know, you're not trying to trick anybody into watching you. It's like, can you share yourself authentically? What is it? And then, and people look, you you know, they're blank. Like, uh oh, what, what does authentically mean? Right. Exactly. What are you authentic? Like, I can't tell you who you are. Only you can tell yourself who you are. This is a beautiful thing. I own and operate a digital marketing agency because that was my career before, you know, I really committed to trying to mm -hmm. be a screenwriter and occasionally we get on calls with kind of high profile clients and we have these former Navy SEALs that are pretty well known in the business world that became clients of ours. <clears throat> and it was through introductions as an associate producer on a, t on a film and some that one of those guys happened to know these guys and inter introduced me. But I got on a phone call with one of these guys and I've read his New York Times bestselling books. And, I, and I'm talking to him and he's like, what can you do for us? And I was like, oh, I didn't know I was ready to pitch. And so I didn't prepare anything. I didn't talk about anything. I had no idea I was doing this. And I just kind of went into my true perspective about digital marketing and search engine optimization, which is it's all about the fundamentals. If you do the fundamentals and you don't chase the tricks, the algorithm won't shift. You won't get penalized. And as long as you do things within the architecture of the way the web works, you're going to be fine. And he was like, okay, how much is it going to cost? And we talked about the rate. And at the end, he literally just looked at me. He's like, it's really all about the fundamentals, isn't it, Phil? And I was like, it is. And he smiled and he said, all right, thank you so much. And mm -hmm. it's because that's the truth. It's just about the fundamentals. And I think that's what you talk about. That's what you teach people are these fundamentals, especially the course and the free lessons that people can get. You know, what are the fundamentals of storytelling that resonate across mm -hmm. everything? And if you package them in that structure, your point of view is going to carry in a way that will resonate with people. And that is how you're going to grow and learn and become a better writer, storyteller, comedian, filmmaker, editor, whatever it is you're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. If people want to go ahead, pl plug away, yeah. Phil. Tell them where they can get all this stuff. So if you're looking to, you know, I highly recommend if you haven't, go sign up for Michael's free lesson. It's uh, michaeljammin.com slash free. Uh, I think it's three lessons actually where you break down these fundamental principles that were literally the first thing you ever taught me. First email lesson you ever sent me back in 2013 was, was this. And it's something I forget. And when I forget, what I write becomes trash, right? It's that That's a very important thing. Uh, you have your course, which I absolutely love, and everyone is getting great feedback. We got people doing option deals, getting yeah. managers at uh, Three Arts, so lots of great stuff happening there. That's michaeljammin.com yeah. slash course. Uh, you have your uh, your one man show coming up, right? No. Yeah. If you're listening to this in time in August, I don't know if people are going to hear it in time, but yeah, I think it'll probably come up right right in the middle of your show. So if there's something someone wants to attend, it's michaeljammin.com slash uh, staged readings. readings. Dash, yeah, michaeljammin.com slash staged dash readings. readings. Yeah. And uh, the first two shows are sold out, so hurry up. Yeah. Because there's not, you know, like the other ones are moving. Each show is followed by a Q&A, so if you want to, we can talk about the work afterwards, you know. Yeah. At the Outwater um, Playhouse in Los Angeles. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I, I got myself a ticket yeah. to that, so I'm excited. So um, we michaeljammin.com slash watch list. Uh, you send out your three uh, top videos every week. And a lot of great feedback on yeah. that. It seems to really inspire people. Um, the comments we get on those videos when we post them, they, they're really high quality. So. Yeah. And those are all, that's all free. That, the, the watch list is free. So get on that. It's just a free weekly newsletter. That's it. And lastly, social media. You know, if people aren't following you now, michaeljammin.com, or excuse me, uh, TikTok, Instagram, um, Facebook, uh, at Michael Jammin Writer, and then Twitter is M Jammin Writer. 
Yeah, but I don't really tweet that much, but you can, why not? You can follow me. Occasionally yeah. I'll say something stupid. And you can f- find out what that is. Cool. Um, <laughs> well, I think. All right, everyone. I think that's the message, right? Just go go produce. Go make something. Go figure out your voice. Go Do put it. it out there. And just uh, stop asking for permission to make it happen. Ex- exactly. All right, everyone. Thanks, Phil. That was a good talk. Look at that. Good talk today. All right, guys. We can do it sometimes. We do good talks. Thanks so much. This has been an episode of Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jamin and Phil Hudson. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing this podcast with someone who needs to hear today's subject. For free daily screenwriting tips, follow Michael on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Michael Jamin Writer. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Phil A. Hudson. This episode was produced by Phil Hudson and edited by Dallas Crane. Until next time, keep writing.